Hello and welcome to The Found Cause, where we found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my right, your left has been... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Has been. We're, we're back again, baby. And to my virtual front is... Theodore, under the PC, under the person of Christ. Hey, Theodore. Hey, Sebastian. You know, I don't know if it reflects on our upload schedule, but it was Christmas and New Year, and I was sick all the time, and it's just been a while since we had the whole gang here for a good old response video. And so we have had some filler videos with you doing some some Mormon videos, Theodore, thank you for filling in. And we had another like theological one over the airwaves. And we had that interview with that dude um, just recently. So we have posted, but for like the whole gang being together, it's just been a while. So uh, it's good to meet together. I was able to finally give Sebastian uh, another meal at my place and show them my cool Star Wars figurines that we got. By that I mean really dorky Star Wars figurines. Um, but we're back at it again. And what other best way to start the new year of 2024 <laughs> than doing yet another Catholic response video? Because the new year came and went, but it hasn't stopped people from, uh, first of all, it hasn't stopped Roman Catholic controversies if you followed the Pope recently. And uh, in line with that, Trent Horn, who is, I think, one of the prominent Catholic apologists, debaters out there right now, scheduled to do a round two debate with James White, which... Um, if anybody f has heard me talk about debates that have changed my life, that initial debate was one that changed my life and brought me to Reformed Theology, so I'm excited for that. Um, and Trent Horn has also continued to go down the weird route as far as Roman Catholic theology. He's definitely on, he's becoming fringier and fringier when he used to be pretty darn conservative. So, um, all that to say, you found this video, Sebastian, so maybe you intro it. Yeah, it's a little it's a little bit old, but um, it just appeared on my feed, and it seems interesting because a lot of Catholics nowadays, you can see from the title of the video, do you have to be Catholic to be saved? If you talk to the Pope, he may or he may not admit that as long as you have some inclination towards a monotheistic God, Muslims... Uh, Mandeans, Christians, Protestants, Catholics may be able to enter heaven, receive salvation, just by having some inclination towards worshiping the one true God, whatever that may mean, according to the Pope. And just looking to past popes, 100 years ago, going back to a thousand years ago during the East-West Schism, that would have made you be burned at the stake if you said something like that out loud. Right. And this comes at a time, at least right now, as far as things that are making headlines right now as we're recording, the Pope just had a statement go out that said that he hopes that hell is empty, meaning he hopes Catholic doctrine is wrong, essentially, that, that there are people in hell. Um, so there's a strong universalist push in the Catholic Church right now, of softy, jiggly stuff. Not that the Protestant movement as a whole has never seen that. But those those denominations in the Protestant movement are all but dead, universalist type of organizations are are gone they're dead because it's not biblical and we've talked about universalism in the past before but the roman catholic church in the united states has globally been very conservative a very conservative church um even though a lot of <laughs> i guess because all the liberals usually go to the, the protestant churches in the u.s um so the, the roman catholic church has been traditionally conservative in the u.s even though globally it is not conservative and so typically american protestants are conservative however because the global Catholic Church is not conservative these days, um, they have a lot of fun liberal theology that's crept in um, since Vatican II, especially, and especially extra with this new pope. So um, I think that's all the preamble we need for this yes. video. The reason we highlight these 
events and changes is because one of the main arguments that people like Trent Horn and Matt Fred, it's going to be in the video too, they emphasize that we are the two church because you can see the continuity of teaching going back to the time of the apostles and even Jesus himself, which in other of our episodes, we have gone over different Catholic beliefs, the papacy, uh, transubstantiation, Marian doctrines, you name it. And there's been a lot of development over time. Yeah, and I guess to continue with the preamble, um, if you ever heard a video of ours, you'll know that and we believe that Roman Catholics have left the church. They are an apostate church that used to be Christian, but has officially rejected the gospel since they fought Protestantism and explicitly rejected the gospel in that fight. So we fully say that the Catholic Church has a, a long and storied good history, um, but they, they have a lot of bad parts of that history, and they are no longer Christian. Um, and that's because of their rejection of the gospel. So you'll see that show up here because um, it's not something that's esoteric and hidden far back in their doctrines that, that rejects the gospel. It is something they regularly apologize about and they defend. So without further ado, let's hear them do it. Where is it that the church teaches that someone cannot have explicit faith and yet be saved? And has the church developed its understanding of this? Well, when we look, for example, in Lumen Gentium, paragraph 16 of the Second Vatican Council, uh, we see the Church articulate that it is possible for those, it says, possible for those who have no knowledge of Christ or His Church to still be saved if they are uh, following the revelation that God has given them primarily in, in nature and in conscience. Let's highlight that for a second. So he's saying it is possible, Trent Horton's saying here, that it's possible for those who haven't heard about Christ or haven't accepted him at least uh, to be saved if they are following general law of revelation. Any first reactions there, Theodore Sebastian? I mean, I will. I will. I was, I was hoping, you know, because you know what, you know what, you guys know what I'm going to say. Jesus, I would say, gave this as an instruction, unless you believe that I am he. Yahweh, you will die in your sins. And over and over in the Gospels, Jesus points to himself being the way, the truth, and the life. Mm -hmm. He is the narrow gate. In other words, what we gather collectively and the letters of Paul is that the only way to salvation, to eternal life, is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is yep. no other narrow, tiny gate that you may creep in. Mm -hmm. In the back end. Explicitly, right? You're just quoting it, but John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so that's that's Catholic doctrine. I think since Vatican II, there's been some weird conciliatory stuff saying that, that Jews and Muslims can go to heaven, um, even though they obviously reject the Catholic Church. I think that is strange. Um, it seems to me, and I don't know about you guys, it seems a reaction to the often used rebuke of Christians that say, that say, what about people in the middle of the Amazon rainforest or people in the middle of the Congo that have never heard of Christianity? How could God possibly damn them to hell? And for millennia, the church has responded, God is sovereign and those people are wicked. They reject Christ. That We quote Romans 1, which talks about the wicked rejecting God even though they don't know the loss. They're not held to the same standards as those who know the law and reject it. They still reject God. They still break the law, and therefore they still go to hell. Like That's the whole 
human condition. And the reason the gospel is so important is because God is rescuing us from the human condition. So those people who are currently in their sins, they haven't heard about Christ yet, they are in the human condition, which is death. They die. They die in physically and they die spiritually when they go to the next life. So there, there's no there's no defense of God needed when we say that uh, those in the Amazon rainforest who have not heard about Christ die in their sins. They go to hell. That's the, the Christian position and has been so for mm-hmm. thousands of years. Yeah. We could quote endless scripture, like you said, Sebastian, about the exclusivity of Christ, that you need Christ. But we also can quote scripture that directly addresses this issue, right? That, that there are those who have never heard about God that still reject him. Romans 1 is a perfect example. I don't know if you have that pulled up, Theodore, but um, it's like the go-to example for this exact question. Yeah, and then I also got two others, Romans 2 and Luke 12. Mm-hmm. Um, but Romans 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him, him as God or give thanks, uh, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Did you want to comment on that or should I go to Romans 2 and Luke 12? I I think it's pretty self-explanatory. I think probably Mm -hmm. what Trent and other Catholics might respond to Romans 1 with is to say that Romans 1 is describing a kind of pagan who knows the truth, who who hasn't heard about Christianity, but, but... sees nature, sees the evidence that God is real, and still rejects him. But there, there may be those who fa- somehow are obedient to God um, in that state. But Romans 1 doesn't talk about those people. It talks about them rejecting God. And then likewise, there are places elsewhere that talk about all men falling short. Like Romans 3 says, all men fall short of the glory of God. Um, so there's no one good, not even one. Right. So these people out in the middle of the Amazon aren't um, that beautiful savage um, where they have been untainted by modern ways and are out kissing birds like they are evil men, just like we were before the gospel. Um, anyways, but I'll let you continue, and, Theodore. you got other verses. Yeah, so and feel free to comment on these. I'd like to get your thoughts on them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but Romans 2, verse 12, For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So regardless um, of law or no law, um, if they know a law or if they know a different sort of law, they're going to be judged by God and they will they will perish either with the law or without the law or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. This is um, actually a wonderful passage th- because it highlights the justice of God. He would judge the Jews by a different standard and he would judge the people in the Inca Empire, for example, before the arrival of the Spaniards, because the Jews had the full revelation of God and yet they rebelled and crucified their Messiah. Whereas the, um, the people in the Andes in Peru, they could have observed as Romans 1 says that, oh yeah, there is a creator, one creator, but instead they're like, we're gonna worship the sun, we're gonna worship the moon, uh, the earth, God, the sea God, etc. In, in, 
they had a pantheon of deities. So even though they didn't have access to the law, God does have a standard for all humans, depending on what your knowledge is. Mm -hmm. However, that doesn't mean that there's someone out there hidden, secretly worshiping Yahweh as Romans, inspired by the Holy Spirit himself, would say, no, there's no one good seeking after God. Yeah, it's almost to say, like, to believe that somebody could fulfill the like the basic law without without God's detailed law, that somebody, some noble savage out there could be fulfilling God's basic law, is is to also say, I think, that there were Jews that were perfectly following the Mosaic law, which I thought, I mean, I would hope that, that Trent would agree, that no Jew perfectly fulfilled the law. Like, that's the whole purpose for Jesus' coming, was that it is impossible in our current state to fulfill God's law. So, whether or not it's mosaic or it's noetic or whatever you call the like noble savage law that God holds people to, it is impossible for man mm-hmm. to keep up with. Nobody does good, not even one. That's why Jesus is required. Otherwise, if there are noble savages who are saved by their works um, without Jesus, God should have never told anybody about his law or Jesus because then there, it was possible for some to be saved, right? via via non-jesus and so it is a i would say an antithetical to the gospel position that there are those who do not require jesus and are still saved that is antithetical to the whole reason jesus came it undermines the entire christian mission so this this admission by vatican ii by the current roman catholic leadership and by trent here is not just a side defense against atheists and moralists out there who don't want like Amazonian savages to be damned. Um, it is an undermining of the gospel itself. I think it's super important, and we shouldn't we shouldn't let Protestant apologists, Roman Catholic apologists, whoever else, play this type of game because it's evil. It like attacks the core of Christianity itself. Yeah, and you notice too, we're not just debating it philosophically. We're debating it from Scripture. I think. When we make an issue like this central to Christianity, mm-hmm. we shouldn't just make it about philosophy because philosophies can easily be wrong. Um, I kind of hate philosophy that's not grounded in the Bible. If you watch this podcast enough, you know that. Um, so thank you, uh, Theodore, and thank you, Sebastian. And we'll quote scripture later whenever we talk about things that are central to the gospel because we really don't want to make something that is not explicit in scripture, something that we hold to as anathema. You have to believe it or you are damned. Right. So the question is, and does oh, this wait. and you've got other you got uh luke as well right luke 12 yeah, yeah so <clears throat> um jesus says be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit be like men who are awaiting uh their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks as are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Um, But then, so I would say those are the Christians, Mm -hmm. but then it turns where, let's see. Um, So again, the slave should be ready. um, But then if the slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the evildoers, or with unbelievers. And that slave, who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will, will receive many lashes. 
but the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. So again, <clears throat> this seems to be um, the part where he's dealing with unbelievers, and obviously it's um, justice. Again, like if you if you know the master's will and you do evil, mm -hmm. you're going to be judged severely. Mm -hmm. If you don't know his will as much, but you still do evil, you're still going to be judged. Right. So kind of like Romans 2, um, whether you have the law or without the law, you perish because of sin. Which, mm -hmm. which is, I think, a really good way, and I'm glad you brought it up, Theodore, of main, uh, handling the objection of people who say it's not just, it's not fair for God to hold people who don't know better to his standards, because he does hold them to different standards. They just still fail those standards. That's, and, and, but the Bible is clear about that. Like, it's not unclear that they fail those standards. It's clear that they also fail those standards. There's nobody that, that achieves God's standards, whether the harder ones or the softer ones. So for Trent to postulate that they can fulfill the softer ones, it, it just reminds me of Jews, modern day Jews who say you can fulfill the law. No, you can't, you can't fulfill the law. Really preposterous for modern day Jews to say that, but even back when the temple was still around, mm -hmm. it was not, you're not able to. Jesus did it, that's all. Okay, here we go. This person have, is what has kept them from God some kind of an invincible ignorance, something mm -hmm. that they cannot overcome. Now, if it's something they could have overcome by investigating the matter and giving it serious thought, and they cavalierly dismissed it because they feel there are more important things in life than whatever God is, that may not bode well for them in the next life. He doesn't have to be soft. He's with another Catholic, right? And like he's talking to a Catholic <laughs> audience here. He says it may not bode well for them. Somebody who who knew about Christianity and explicitly rejected it, you can definitively say is in hell. You don't have to pretend like, oh, maybe you know the Lord decided. The Lord says exactly what He does to those kind of people. Um, but secondly, he says this concept of invincible ignorance, which is the the new Roman Catholic doctrine of that maybe you can be. Um, so ignorant of the gospel that you are invincible to judgment because you just didn't know um, is it also as we already talked about directly expressed as not a con like a, a denied concept by romans 1 by romans 2 by by all these verses in the bible that talk about those who don't know um, god still are without excuse right that's expressly denied in romans 1 and so we should not allow modern inventions of vatican II mm -hmm. or other roman leadership to tell us otherwise and for context this is really for, modern for, because sorry. for a thousand years, the Roman Catholic Church has taught extra ecclesiam nulla salus. Outside of the church, there is no salvation. Mm -hmm. Meaning, you had to be a member specifically of the Roman Catholic Church to be saved. I mean, you can even see that in the anathemas of 1054 to the Eastern Orthodox. Yeah, you're all anathema. Meaning, unless you're part of the Roman Catholic Church, doesn't matter if you're Eastern Orthodox, Coptic, Nestorian, whatever, one of the apostolic churches, you're, you were anathema. That has changed. So, mm -hmm. so even, the stakes are even higher. Is what I'm trying to say with the Catholic Church than with uh, just generic Christianity. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to say here. He's got eight minutes. So I kind of don't want to talk, <laughs> but like we've got church fathers yeah, yeah, on yeah. on yeah, on yeah, deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so you know, like we we got the stuff. But if it's something they're an honest, <laughs> sure. <laughs> just X seventeen uh, twenty six to twenty eight. I I don't see. I don't understand exactly what invincible ignorance would be. Um, or why that would justify anyone. Because um, uh, it says, 
And he made God made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth and having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation that they would seek God. Perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So again, uh, God appointed the times and boundaries that they would seek God. Yeah. Um, I don't. Like the people in the Amazon, God, God knew appoint... about them. He appointed them to be in the Amazon. Right. They weren't like missed by God, and therefore he has to go like fix his plan. Yeah. Right. Again, it's not scripture isn't silent about this issue. It ex expressly talks about it and uh, denies this new Roman Catholic doctrine. Seeker about, and they're trying to find. Uh, then I do believe God will eventually reveal themselves to this person. Why does Trent think? that God will eventually reveal himself to a seeker in the world. I guess just because he thinks that's the way God works. It's not from the Bible. The Bible doesn't say that God mm -hmm. will reveal himself. In fact, the God says that no one seeks for God. So there is no genuine seeker, I guess, if we're really being pedantic around here. There is no one who seeks for God um, without God's intervention. So there is nobody that's seeking for God. And then God goes, oh, look, a seeker of mine. I have to go to him. God is the first mover, right? God creates seekers of God. There is, there is no seeker of God without God. Um, and again, that's straight out of Romans 3. Uh, but it, it's also possible that a person could have other kinds of cognitive defects mm -hmm. that prevent them from coming to know God. The Catechism even talks about how one thing that can create vincible ignorance in atheists uh, are the examples of Christians. The Catechism says that sometimes Christians are poor examples of the faith. They teach it improperly and present a poor example of it that others don't want to yeah. have anything yeah. to do with whatsoever. Yeah. And so that would be yeah, if you're, that would if be you're taken a Jew raised in Nazi Germany and your only experience of Christ is that of the Third Reich. Yeah, or if you're example. a Jew living in the, the Middle Ages and yeah. you're being charged with blood libel and mm -hmm. uh, you're you're consigned to a, to a ghetto. ghetto yeah. But I would say that... I want, I want us to take a stop and think about the implications of a theology like that on salvation. Because what they're telling you is that if you are an atheist who has a bad example of Christians in your life, so, so those Christians, you know, they steal things and they lie, and therefore you're like, ah, those people are bad. If that's what Christians are, I'm not going to be a Christian. And then you go out your merry way, hating God the rest of your life. When you die, they're saying it's possible that all the Christians were such a bad example that it was impossible for your free yearning will to ever desire God. And so God is going to give you a free pass to heaven because even though you were wicked, right? I mean, evidently you're wicked, you reject God, but you, you are invincibly ignorant because of the bad example of Christians around you. Isn't that a viciously perverse incentive to put people in places where there are terrible Christians around them so that they can go to heaven? Or likewise, he talks about Nazi Germany. I guess we should make the world Nazi. You know, the Catholic, you heard it here first. The Catholics want to make the whole world Nazi so that those who reject Nazism get to heaven. Um, like, the, the implications are that we should make the world as viciously ignorant and wicked as possible so that the max amount of people are saved via invincible ignorance. It's, it's a non-biblical, expressly non-biblical, anti-biblical doctrine. Um, that it, it ignores the gospel. It's like God require, normally requires the gospel, except... Um, for these millions of excuse reasons why he might not. Jesus wouldn't even have to die. Like, Jesus didn't have to die on the cross if you can just be saved by divine fiat. Also, if you build your faith on someone who claims to be a Christian, that's idolatry. 
Right. You need to, because again, Romans one says, um, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Um, and the righteous man shall live by faith. Um, yeah. So it, you, the gospel and the scripture that reveals the gospel, the Bible that testifies of it, um, that's what you go to to learn. Um, you don't just um, single out this one person who claims to be Christian or even two or three. Mm -hmm. um, you got to go to the book. Right, because salvation is not predicated on my Christian neighbors being mean to me. It is on the perfect human God-man, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life. You're the one. That's the one who you should be looking to, not to your deranged and hinged neighbors. I mean, bad shame on your neighbors for mm -hmm. being bad Christians. Maybe they're worse than you, but you're still bad. Yeah. Right. So look to Christ for that. And I would say this, you know, the principle of invincible ignorance goes against Scripture, but even against what the Lord said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. And I surely am with you always to the very end of the age. So, yeah. Meaning, go to the Amazon and tell them about Jesus Christ. Because again, this whole invi invincible ignorance concept is, is a perverse incentive not to go to the Amazon, right? Not to ever fix Nazi Germany because it's currently in a state where people are getting saved. The noble savage, um, which is not good. That's a very secular concept. The whole noble savage thing that mm -hmm. savages are better off without having heard of Christianity is... A, it's a secular thing, guys. Don't don't adopt secular reasoning. Yeah. That this the understanding that non Christians can be saved is not a unique one that's modern. I think you go back to like Pope Gregory the Great. He talks about how there is no one who is kept from receiving the the fruits of of the atonement of Christ's death on the cross. This is <laughs> that's a, yeah. that's a really funny reading, and maybe we should whip out the church fathers here only because that that reference by Gregory is clearly talking about that anybody can accept Christ. Condition here is that they accept Christ. It's not talking about that like Joe Schmo in China, um, who's never heard of Jesus Christ, is still able to get atoned for it. Like that's very Mormon. Like that's a extremely modern. For so for him to say that that's not modern is pretty laughable. And you have yeah. some old church fathers too um, to talk about this. Uh, yes. Yeah. Do, do you want this now or wait on the predestination? Uh, I, I, say, I say let's hold up when okay, it gets to predestination. I do want to say, though, I think what Gregory, if I had to just, based on what I have read from Gregory and other contemporaries, he's speaking about there's neither Jew nor Greek, mm -hmm. uh, slave nor free, man or woman, they're all, we're all one in Christ Jesus. So everyone, no matter your ethnicity, can access the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. As long as you... As, as long as they actually go and do it, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Which, how, how weirdly... What a weird mixture that Roman Catholics who are all about following their traditions and law and the sacraments would then throw all those right away for the unbeliever in these cases and say, normally you have to do this giant checklist, which Protestants don't even hold to. But if you are in Nazi Germany, um, you can be saved. By, by doing none of those things. It just it seems like such a juxtaposition that they're super rules-based, except for when they aren't. Something to benefit everyone. Now, as the Church articulated this principle, uh, there is no salvation outside of the Church, it was mm -hmm. primarily understood to mean that those who have come to know what the Church is and reject it, there is nothing else that is going to save them. And so it's directed yes. at uh, Jews or pagans 
uh, or even Muslims who have encountered Christians who have, uh, you know, interacted with the faith and have, have rejected. There's nothing else to provide them salvation. God himself, and it seems paragraph 1257 of the Catechism, says that this salvation is bound to the sacraments, specifically mm-hmm. baptism, but God himself is not bound by those things. Right. <laughs> what? <laughs> So salvation, I guess, exists outside of God then because the, the salvation requires baptism and, and other sacraments, which we don't even agree with either. But there is some rules to salvation, right? Some logic to it. Um, but God, he says, is not bound by those laws. So I guess God isn't the originator of salvation. Like in, in real Christianity, back, back on planet Earth for a second here, um, God is the one that gives salvation, right? Salvation doesn't exist outside of God. And so God is the one who put the rules on salvation exactly how it works. And so he would be going against himself if he were to change the rules of salvation. Like the whole reason Jesus had to die was because he had rules and justice about sin requiring death, right? That's, he doesn't just give a loophole. He doesn't just give a loophole to humanity and say, well, normally you'd have to die for sins, uh, for your sins. But because I love you, I'm not going to have you die for your sins. He says, okay. I love you. I want you to live. So I'm going to have somebody die. I'm going to have my own son die, Jesus die um, for your sins so that the rules around salvation are fulfilled. So there are rules, strictly enforced rules by God himself, by his own character. So to say that that salvation has rules, but God doesn't have rules, to say that God and salvation are separate things, um, which again is this cheapening of the gospel that Roman Catholics have done by making salvation Jesus and you, um, has clearly cheapened the gospel enough that they're willing to throw it away when it comes to unbelievers, which is insane. Yeah, and it's odd too because back in conservative Catholicism just 100 years ago, it was all rooted in the sacraments. In order to be saved, you had to partake of the sacraments. If you are well, a good Trent Catholic... Horn holds to that. Like he's saying, yeah. it's, he defends it on the debate stage. So how weird that he would just throw it away for the unbeliever. Yeah, very unfortunate. Right. And so God is able to be merciful towards people and take an understanding of whatever epistemic position he has placed them in. Okay. But then the church came to see an understanding that there, there were people like in the New World, Native Americans, who could not possibly have, not what our Mormon friends notwithstanding, <laughs> yeah. uh, could not, who believe that Jesus appeared to the Native Americans, right. that's a whole different topic to talk about, could not have possibly known God. Mm-hmm. And, yet, uh, and, and yet I would say that it would, it would just seem to me to be such an, an injustice for it, it would be similar to the Calvinist doctrine of double predestination, hmm. where That's God decides who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And God has made it the case that certain people, no matter what decision they make in this life, will be consigned to hell. I would say that's really not that far from double predestination. Where- Whoa! You know, th- <laughs> this might be our in with, with Trent, because um, so he's anti-double predestination, which he's describing here, and I'll just say it again, is, is God not only predestinate the double in there, is he doesn't just predestine people to go to heaven, but he also predestines people to go to hell. Um, we agree with this statement, um, depending on how you take it. Some people take it to be different than we would hold it. But yes, we believe that the, the fact that God is required for salvation and he is the gatekeeper of what, who, who goes to heaven necessarily logically requires that he is also the gatekeeper for those who go to hell. Like anybody he doesn't choose to go to heaven will go to hell and therefore it is, it is by nature a double predestination. Um, Trent is saying it's unjust. 
it seems unjust to him that Native Americans would, that God would have birthed Native Americans in the new world without Christ, and therefore they are damned to hell because they would never hear about Christ. Isn't, isn't that what the world was in? Isn't that the state that the world was in? Wasn't that the darkness of the world? Was that there was no light of Christ? And isn't that the kingdom of God going out to all the nations, to all the corners of the earth? Is the, fa- is the good news that they were all trapped in darkness and now they've seen a great light? Isn't that the promise of the Messiah that he would go and spread his kingdom abroad and rescue the nations from their, their evil overlords? Like the, the, the curse of sin is death. So what you are saying, Trent, when you say that the new world wasn't in the curse of death and that it was possible to live even without having heard of Christ is to say that the kingdom of God was unnecessary, that there was already light in the new world, that the kingdom flooded over the seas with Christopher Columbus and the light was flooding it and the lights were already on. Actually, (laughs) Cahokia already had the light and so did, uh, you know, the Nahuatls and Tenochtitlan, like they, they already had the gospel actually. So you might as well go back across the seas because when you come here, it's actually, you're only going to damn us more. We were, sa- we were able to be saved until you arrived. Once you arrived, now we're damned. It's so antithetical to the gospel that I don't know, wh- I don't know why it doesn't bother him to, to think this. Like he is philosophically opposed to God having created people that will never be saved. But none of that's from the Bible. Whereas the Bible speaks a ton about the gospel, and it's kind of the center of the, the Bible, and he is denying that for the sake of his philosophy. And I, what more can I say? And all the Jesuits that were flooding into the new world trying to save, mm-hmm. well, even in, even if it's into Catholicism after the Reformation and those in the 15, late 1500s, they were hoping to stop the human sacrifices. I mean, clearly these people had so much light in how God operates in the world that they're ripping people's hearts out. Mm-hmm or sacrificing children in the Inca Empire. They did that too, unfortunately. No, the Jesuits are like, no, stop this. Stop, you need to read the Bible, which they couldn't. There was a whole funny episode in the Inca Empire about that. But they were trying to convert the natives into Catholicism because they were not Christian. Otherwise, why bother converting them? And it shows you the attitude of the church at the time, right, that they were trying to convert them and that they were trying to bring the kingdom of God to those without it, they were not thinking that these men were had the possibility to be saved. They were thinking they were all damned and needed to be saved, to, as, as far as the historical belief of the church mm-hmm. goes. Where yeah. God decides. Uh, now, all Christians believe in predestination. <clears throat> right. The Bible talks about it. Right. And in paragraph 600 of the Catechism, it says that God, all moments of time are known to God uh, in his immediacy, but God is able to make our free choices a part of his predestined plan. Mm-hmm. That's the essence of what paragraph 600 of the Catechism says. Notice what he doesn't quote there is the Bible. Um, I really don't care what the Catechism has to say. We care about what God has to say. And the church is not God. And therefore, the, the church, quote unquote, because I don't even believe the Roman Catholic Church is the church, but or even part of it, um, but the church, his church, um, says that God is able to predestined things while thinking about the free will choices that people would make um, but the scripture even talk in terms like that never there's not a single instance in scripture that talks about free will or god thinking about what men will do and then making his plans afterwards it says the opposite it says that man plans and god laughs right man's plans are thwarted by god that's in the old testament it's in the psalms it's in it's in prophecy it's it's the essence of prophecy that god can even predestine what's going to happen 
even with men willing whatever they want, is that he overrides the will of men. Men's will is not sovereign. God specifically overrides it in certain instances. So this whole concept that he says that that God incorporates man's will into his final plan is is antithetical again to scripture. Theodore or Michael, do you happen to have Ephesians? Yeah. Either memorized? <laughs> yeah. So Ephesians 2 says, uh, for by grace we are saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It's from God, not from works, so that no man may boast. And that these good works were given to us beforehand. Um, th this is the essence of the way God operates, is that it's a gift from God. Sorry, I'm not quoting anymore. This is, this is Michael. <laughs> uh, topic here. God is the one who gave us the gift of salvation. He's the one who gave us the good works beforehand. He predestined us to those good works. Like This is all from God, originates from God, not man. Thank you for stalling. I was looking for Ephesians 1. So that also that also ties in perfectly because it builds after what Paul says in Ephesians 1. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through, Je through Jesus Christ. Pause. Through Jesus Christ. Okay, I'll continue. In accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. What's noticeably absent here is any talk of man's will. In fact, again, in Ephesians 2, the next chapter, it's expressly said it's not from you. It's a gift from God, not from works, not from you, so that no one can boast. Does anyone have Romans where Jacob I love? Esau I hated. Do we even pull that up? Romans 9? I don't think so. But Romans 9, you can go to Romans 9 in your own Bible, dear viewer, and see that, that Paul expressly talks on the nature of free will. And he says that there are those that God chooses to be his and those he chooses to hate before they do anything. And he uses the twin brothers Esau and Jacob as an example. It, in the Old Testament, it says it, and then Paul requotes it in this exact context. It says, God says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Before the brothers had done anything good or bad, God hated Esau and loved Jacob. He was going to choose Jacob. He said the, the younger were served the older. It was a prophecy to Rachel when she birthed them, or Rebecca when she birthed them. Um, this, this, this is the way God operates, right? He can choose people. He does choose people regardless of their wills. And also in that chapter for Pharaoh, he says, For this very purpose, I raised you up to display my power on I'm paraphrasing, to display my power on you. Not to save you, but to slap you around, shame you, destroy you. Mm -hmm. And to to show how powerful Yahweh is, so he can liberate his his people. Okay, even on that note, the Israelites were his people, not the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. Were there Egyptians that could have repented and turned to Yahweh back? Sure, but they were not his chosen people. It's only the Israelites that are explicitly set apart. So even in the Old Testament, there is divine election and predestination. Some people are predestined to salvation. Other people, like the Canaanites, were predestined to. Destruction. Destruction, yep. yes. This isn't anything new. He quoted Gregory. I'm going to quote the not-so-famous Fulgentius of Ruspe. Uh, he's becoming more known now that his writings are translated from Latin into English. He was a bishop of Ruspe in North Africa. He lived around the same time as Augustine. He lived a little bit afterwards, after Augustine passed away. But he pretty much agreed with him in all his points. So here, this is a letter from the Scythian monks to Fulgentius, and he replies, correcting them and say, yes, what you say is good. 
Therefore, no one at all is delivered from the condemnation and death except by the grace of the Redeemer. Although he was the Lord and indeed God, he was made a slave by taking the form of a slave so that he might free us from perpetual servitude and the devil's power and might lead us back to true freedom. As a result, he said this to the Jews, then you will be truly free if the Son sets you free. They thought that they were truly free, but in fact, they were most vain, their most vain intention, they were slaves to human cares in order that false freedom might come true freedom, might become true freedom, that freedom needed a liberator, through whose grace it might be able to turn away from human care so as to contemplate and long for the things that pertain to eternal life. Indeed, without this grace, human freedom can contemplate and long for human things, but it cannot contemplate or desire or long for divine things. The primary and principal foundation of these divine things is to believe in the crucified Lord of glory. Such belief undoubtedly does not spring from the freedom of the natural choice, because it is not flesh and blood that reveals this, but the Heavenly Father reveals this to whom he wills, by drawing him to true freedom, not by violent compulsion, but by imparting sweetness through the Holy Spirit, so that we may soon say with faith, Jesus is Lord. No one can say this through the freedom of the natural will, but only through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, those who say, it is my responsibility to will, to believe, and God's responsibility to help by grace, prattle on in vain. For the apostle testifies that the very act of believing, which means giving assent to the truth, is given to us by God, when he says, for it has been given to you by Christ, not only that you may believe in him, but even that you may suffer for his sake. So in summary, uh, the gift of salvation comes from God, and it is not of human will. In fact, he, the Fulgentius and the Catholic, but again, Catholic monks would write and affirm that, yeah, it's not out of human will that comes the belief in God, but rather God moves in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, transforms you, and then from there you say, ah, Jesus is Lord. So if you don't take Ephesians' word for it, take Fulgentius, or if you don't take our word for it, take the historical church, right? The, the, this so-called historical church, the Roman Catholic Church, Trent Horn here, um, are not in line with historic Christianity. They're certainly not in line with the scriptures. Mm. Can I uh, give my pitch on free will and predestination? <laughs> Go ahead. That's right. This is the time to do it. <laughs> okay. So... Currently, I think uh, our free wills give consideration to our capabilities, desires, dreams, beliefs, fears, lusts, and assigns different weights to them at different situations, um, and which could seem kind of unorganized uh, based on how we're affected by other people and other influences um, and such. So I think that's maybe a decent definition of free will. We just can give consideration to all these things. Um, but then nothing is outside the will of God. There is nothing that God cannot effectively influence. And if you don't believe that, then I think you're stuck believing Satan and a third of all the angels are able to usurp God's will or discreetly go behind his back or theoretically have enough power to, uh, to sustain themselves, be self-sufficient and eventually compete against God. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's either that or God lets it uh, go on, but uh, God lets evil 
um, go on for a purpose and actually knows how it will end because he will end it um, because he is Alpha Omega beginning and end and everything is he has predestined. And then I have a couple verses, Romans eleven twenty five. For I do not want you, uh, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. So that's one purpose for letting uh, evil go on, letting these free will, free wills of man uh, continue to go on and be destructive and um, fulfill their own desires. And then you also see this in Revelation 6, uh, verses 10 and 11. And the, uh, the saints cried out in a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who were to be killed even as they had been, would be completed also. Any thoughts on that? Or does that speak for itself? Uh, I think it speaks for, I mean, your point, your point stands in that God is allowing evil. So it's the question of the problem of evil. Why does God allow evil things happen? He's allowing evil things to happen up until an exact time that he has planned for, for various purposes, right? For the fulfilling of the time of the Gentiles, for um, our good um, benefit, as he says in Romans 8, like there's a lot of reasons. And I think too, from the by like purely from the Bible, I the truth will stand philosophically sound. So when we create philosophy from the Bible, um, I think there is a good way to go about it. So you're creating some philosophy there, Theodore, as far as like exactly what defines free will that's not expressly taught in the Bible because the Bible doesn't have much to say about free will. And granted, I think there can be truth in philosophy that's outside of the Bible, um, as long as it's derived from the Bible. But I, I th the reason I hate philosophy in general is that philosophy is often used instead of the Bible, and it will go, it will actually expressly go against the Bible. Um, but we we don't reference the Bible, and we just believe the philosophy, and so that's why I generally mistrust philosophy, and I always think we should root it in the Bible. I would say, as far as what the Bible expressly says, when it speaks to will, it never speaks to free will. I mean, the only use of the word free will in the Bible is for free will offerings, meaning they, they were not required by the law. They're given by your own will, and therefore they're, they're freely willed. But that doesn't mean that they are free from influence. And I think that's what philosophers and Trent Horn and others, when we talk about free will, we typically mean free from outside influence. And nobody has free will in that nobody is totally free from outside influence. Other people influence us, our environments influence us. Like we don't actually have a free will even if God is not involved. And then with God, God of course reserves the right to over overcome your will. We, we referenced it here in this episode about Pharaoh and about Esau and Jacob. Like God absolutely has the right to overcome your will if he wants to. We would hold that in scripture, God doesn't is not always overcoming people's wills. He often lets people's wills play out. Um, so in that way, you could call them free in that God is not always forcing people's hands to do the things they do. But what scripture does say about will is that it is, is slave. It's not free in the, in the ultimate sense. It is a slave to its nature. The will is bound to do the things that are within its nature. A slug will always slug around. Uh, dogs always return to their own vomit. That's in the, the will of a dog. It's in the nature of a dog. And mankind, in its wicked nature, um, always 
people rebel against God. Sometimes a lot, sometimes a little, but it's in, within the wheelhouse of human nature to sin because of Adam. And so no man by his will loves God. And that's, that's what Romans 3 speaks to. It's what Romans 1 speaks to. It's what any, any reference to human will sinning is talking about human sin naturely. And that God puts us, uh, gives us a new nature, a new heart that mm-hmm. then desires him. And so freely, you know, un- uncoerced by God, we then want to do the things of God. And God helps us do those through the Holy Spirit. But none of those wills, whether the, the Christian will or the pagan will, are truly free. They're slaves to their nature. And so I think this this whole wanting to be free of influence from God um, isn't true to what the Bible has to talk about wills. The Bible does not talk about truly free wills. Your wills are always bound to the nature of the thing that you are. Yes. Can I offer this comment? Huh? Like, <laughs> regardless of your belief of free will, um, whether you believe we have very free will <clears throat> or no free will at all, um, we're still going to be judged by Jesus, who is the who is just and the justifier of the one who believes in him. And also, regardless of what you believe about that, again, going back to Romans 2, for all have sinned uh, and you're either going to perish without the law or with a law. So... So come to Christ. <laughs> yeah, there's no point in philosophizing your whole life or doing a PhD in free will because you're still going to be judged in the end and you you willingly sin. Right. Yep, whatever your will, whatever the origin of your will is, it's yours and you sinned, so you still need the savior. 100% agree. And so the point being what the church teaches on predestination is more what you can't believe. You just can't believe that God doesn't know the future. Mm-hmm. He is omniscient. But you can't believe that we don't have free will. Mm-hmm. Why? God knows the future. He has chosen us. Mm-hmm. He's given us grace. We did not choose him. He I chose like us. We agree with that. That's a great right. way to put it. He's like, chosen yeah. us, but we also say yes to him. Right. It's not. We also believe that you say yes to him, for the record. Yes. What he may... Also, not just, I don't think he might get into details in this video, but he has in others, especially with that debate with James White. Some people can say no if God reaches out to you. Mm-hmm. And then or some people can say yes and then say no. Right. Yeah. You can leave the Catholic Church also. Be Oh, yeah, you can be in a state of grace, lose that state of grace. Right. Which is bad. It's bad for a number of reasons. Bad for you because you don't want to fall out of state of grace. Sounds bad to you. Um, but also bad for what it means about the gospel, that you could be totally saved by Christ, he's mediating for you, and then he fails. Um, topic for a different video. Not, we, we were not just, we're not dragged kicking and screaming, we're not dragged into the, the kingdom. We say yes. On that point, that we're not dragged into the kingdom, we also agree that when God gives you a new heart to save you, part of that process is giving you a new heart, and therefore you, you, aren't, you do say yes, right? You, you, when you're given the new heart, you say, yes, I love Jesus, and you don't go into the kingdom kicking and screaming now could you have also if you, oh, rejected sorry. the heart no he put it in you you got the new heart and also if you know enough people and hear their testimonies you're going to hear some people say yes i was dragged kicking and screaming into the kingdom but then god <laughs> changed me yeah he transformed me he conformed me to the image of christ 
or is conforming me to the image of Christ. You wonder how many testimonies Trent Horn has heard, because, yeah, that's a very common testimony, is that, like, God hounded me down until finally I converted. Um, very uh, Saul to Paul-like, right? Like, it's pretty pretty typical gospel story. Oh, yeah, Paul was dragged blind. Blind, yeah, exactly. <laughs> to, you're you're going to go to Jonah. Jonah. Was dragged, yeah. kicking and screaming by a giant fish. Jeremiah was pretty much dragged, kicking and screaming to his prophethood in Jeremiah 20. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more his name. His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. So dear viewer, when you're listening, you have to decide if you're listening to this debate between Trent Horn and us that, that he doesn't know about. We're <laughs> doing it in the background. Uh, you, have to, you have to decide which, which should you hold to. Should you hold to the infallible word of God or should you hold to the church's position? Because the Roman Catholic Church's position, because they are different. The, the word of God says that God does overcome people's wills. Trent says, if you're going to be in the church, the church says you have to believe in free, meaning God does not interfere will. That these are two different things. You cannot hold to both of them. You have to choose the Bible or the Catholic Church. We choose the Bible. I need to add to that. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll add a Bible verse to that. <laughs> Do it. Matthew 19, 23 to 26. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So God is a determiner. God can change hearts. Right. Yay. Amen. Yes to him. And sometimes we say no, and we got to right. come back and say yes again. Uh, but so God, if, if, yeah. so, I mean, the Thomistic view, and I guess the Catholic view is if we go to heaven, we have no one to thank but God. If we go to hell, we have no one to thank but ourselves. Right. And so when it comes to how free will and predestination work together in God's foreknowledge and free will, that's where Catholics, there's disagreement. Yeah. You'll have people who have the Thomistic understanding of predestination, which is very, very close to Calvinism, yeah. but important in important respects. Until mm -hmm. we're <laughs> pints with Aquinas, uh, Matt Fratt on the other side of the mic here, um, is Thomistic, um, which is not what we agree with either for the record, but like Trent said, it's pretty pretty close to Calvinism. It's it's uh, in that, that God chooses people that, that choose him, and he, and he doesn't choose people who don't choose him, or he chooses some people knowing they won't choose him, not thinking they ever will choose him so that they are crushed especially by by judgment so like it's it's not exactly calvinism and i would say it's still ultimately ashamed of the gospel but um at least it makes logical sense uh, and then you have more views down the line like uh molinism the jesuit right. priest luis molina who's which is more of where Trent Horn lands these days. Says that God gave uh, sufficient grace to people for them to be saved, but the grace that he's given to people, who that he chooses, he chooses those that he knows in his counterfactual foreknowledge will say yes right. if he were to offer them Fair enough. salvation. And if you're aware of Mullenism, it's that God 
wanted to maximize goodness and he did a huge computer calculation to come up with the exact scenario that would maximize goodness. Um, again, where are you finding the arrival? Nowhere, but this is the, the theory goes. And so the way that God could maximize goodness is to design the earth and the universe so that people had free will, because that's inherently good. Is that in the Bible? No, but this is the scenario that free will is inherently good. And God set up a bunch of dominoes so that, you know, your alarm clock would go off on Tuesday and you'd have marbles on your floor and you'd slip and fall on your head and then you'd get in a coma and then the nurse in your, your hospital would know the gospel and be able to share it to you and then you'd get the gospel. Like he sets up these huge Rube Goldberg machines for you to eventually accept him with the maximum amount of people to accept him in that way without ever forcing anybody to accept him. Um, and that the current scenario that God decided to run and the one that we were living in, the real reality is the one that the most people accepted him while still having free will. And therefore, all the people that don't end up accepting God in the Melanist view um, are casualties of the fact that he's saving as many people as he possibly could while sustaining free will. Um, that's that the huge assumption there, and again, it comes nowhere from the Bible, is that... Um, having free will is a good thing. It's the ultimate good thing because God will never violate it. Um, that's nowhere found in the Bible. Why wouldn't God just force everybody to be saved? Like I, I fix your math problem, right? Everybody force everybody to be saved, maximum good. Um, but uh, I digress. This is not really a Molinism video, but Molinism is a, is a bad philosophy. It's held by William Lane Craig and a couple others. It's not good. And it's specifically, it's not scriptural. Like not, it's not grounded in scripture. They don't argue it from scripture. It's not from the Bible. It's not quoted about the Bible. It's never referenced in the Bible. Christians should not hold to things that aren't solidly defined in the Bible, at least somewhere, you know. <coughs> Especially by a Catholic priest that used this system to counter the Reformation. Mm -hmm. And of course, and then Catholics can disagree among yeah. themselves on those, on those things. And I'm not even fully settled. I lean towards Molinism, but I'm, I'm not completely settled on the issue. But the, the point is we have, uh, with, with predestination, that God has this plan for us, but it includes our free choices right. within that plan. How do we get to predestination? We were talking about the hiddenness of God. Um, and there's people who don't know, but to say like, okay, right. God has made it so that they're born. No chance of hearing the gospel. I can't accept the idea that God would make it the case that someone could exist and there is not a single choice they could have ever made in this life. There's not a single choice they could have ever made in this life to avoid being separated from God for all eternity. I feel I wonder, it. I wonder what he means by that, though. Now he's making me wonder because I would agree that it theoretically it's possible for a man not to sin. So Amazonian to to be born in the Amazon and then not sin. Like it's like physically possible for him to do that. But because he is born into a sinful nature, he will always sin. So like practically, there, it, it is impossible because never will that person not sin. As soon as he starts doing things, he will do them out of not, imperfect love for God and therefore immediately be doing it in sin. And so um, while it is like logically possible for somebody to fulfill the law, right? Like God sets out law, I fulfill it. Uh, whether the big law that is given to the Jews or the little law given to Noah, to mankind as a whole, as part of general revelation, it's like logically possible for you to fulfill this. But in reality, it's a reality, it's impossible because we are born with fallen natures. And so to Trent's point, 
maybe he just means that it's logically possible for the Amazonian to be saved, but not a single one ever is. But he seems to say that there are some that are saved, right? Like, theoretically, there are some. Even though original sin is a huge point of Catholicism? Yeah. There's a lot of conflicting features. It's a feature of an apostate church, kind of like the Mormon church, right? Mm. They they had they had Christianity. Not just Put Mormons aside for a second. They never had Christianity. But Catholics had Christianity, and then they're moving away from it. So as they move away from it, they're adding conflicting doctrine to yeah. existing Christianity. Yeah. Emotion, on an emotional level, I can relate to Trent Horn because I used to. If you remember our long discussions mm -hmm. in college, like at 2, 3 in the morning when we were roommates in college. And this was something I indeed brought up. It's like, it doesn't seem fair that there's someone who didn't get the chance to hear about Jesus. Because, you know, don't we all deserve to hear about Jesus? That used to be my thinking back then in my good college days. And then I realized, oh, no. I was I had a completely mistaken view on grace and salvation. Grace cannot be demanded from God. It is something that we do not deserve at all to have to be redeemed, saved, transformed to to his pleasure. It's something that comes out of him. What we deserve is to be executed on the spot for the evil we have done. And I would say, you know, we're all pretty evil, messed up people. And even if we try to pretend we're not compared to God's standards. So when that when I made that realization that grace cannot be demanded, it's like, oh, I'm not as good as I'm, my neighbors are not as good as I thought they were. No one is as good as I thought they were. Like we're all pretty messed up compared to Jesus Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit. So I think that's where the disconnect is with with Trent Horn right now. Yep. When we always ask that may God reveal himself to him and show him the error of his ways so that he may come back. He, he says he used to be a Protestant. So if I recall that correctly, please don't quote me on that. I think he used to be and then converted to Catholicism. Story, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I'm going to quote from Romans 9 because this, I think, does speak on the matter of, you know, is on the idea that there's a person out there who never had any opportunity to hear about Jesus. So then God has mercy on whom he wills, and he hardens whom he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels for mercy, of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Right. I think that speaks to the issue so plainly um, that it's unavoidable. I have seen endless loops from Eric L. Harb, from Trent Horn, from uh, all the people who deny the gospel um, to say that that isn't speaking to the issue, even though it expressly is speaking to the issue and goes down the exact logical chains that these philosophizers do as far as um, how can, like like the text just said, how can anybody hold those who aren't chosen by God responsible because they weren't chosen by God and they were unable to choose him um, and Paul's response to that isn't to make excuses for God. He just says, yeah, God does that. Um, isn't it God's right to be able to make some people good and some people bad to show his wrath and his mercy? Like, that's, 
there you go. Like that, straight from straight from the apostle himself. You don't have to hear me say it or James White or some other Protestant. Just listen to the apostle Paul. You don't even have to listen to any Protestant. Just listen to this good Catholic from the 800s, Scotchalk of Orbe. He came to this realization and became a cage stage Calvinist, unfortunately, to his detriment. Pre-Calvinist. Pre-John yeah. Calvin. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Just as immutable God before the foundation of the world, immutably predestined to eternal life, all his elect through his gratuitous grace, the same immutable God through his just judgment, likewise immutably predestined to deservedly eternal death, absolutely all the reprobate. Later in his writings, this is just a summary, uh, in his confessions and writings to other Catholic pr priests that agreed with him and some who disagreed with him, Again, shows the Catholic Church had a very different take on this matter just a thousand years ago. Um, he would also say, well, if God has, from Bible, predestined some people indeed to eternal life, and he has predestined to show his grace and mercy on, on some, he therefore also has not, he has predestined to not grant mercy on some people. Mm -hmm. Therefore, there's, there's double predestination. He's like, oh, well, yeah, there's double predestination. Yep. Something that Trent Horn says that is not a good belief to have, even though it is, we've been quoting from Romans, Ephesians, it is straight from Scripture. We're not the only ones making these statements. Fulgentius, Augustine, uh, John Calvin, Gottschalk, and I'm, some, some Nestorian patriarch that I have not, we don't have time for that now, but we're not the only ones who have made this realization from right. Scripture. Yep. Uh, that to mm. me would seem to be right. uh, very, yeah, very if unjust. A if a Catholic is sort of disgusted at the kind of Calvinistic idea that God can predestine someone to hell, then they, it, as you disgusted? say, uh, apparently the Catholic is. He means the modern Catholic, as the Catholics throughout the ages have not been disgusted. It doesn't seem too far off to say people here in the New World had no chance of hearing the gospel. In a sense, he has predestined them to hell, if you want to say, strictly speaking. If he's given them no opportunity to make a decision, whether it's to recognize his existence in nature or to follow the revelation right. he's given them to conscience. And you go back, I mean, for great, you go back to Romans chapter 2, Romans yep. 2, 14 through 16. St. Paul says, uh, even though the Gentiles don't have the Mosaic law written on stone, right. they have the law written on their hearts, mm -hmm. and God will judge them by their conscience which will either accuse or excuse them on that day. Yeah. So I believe there's, there's yeah, quite yeah. a principle to show that God reveals himself to different people in different ways. <laughs> but if your assumption is, like he just said, it will either excuse them or accuse them, Paul goes to say that it always accuses them. Like that's the whole point, the whole logical procession mm -hmm. of Romans, Romans 2 to Romans 3, Romans 3 ends with, there's no one good, not even one, right? Like that's the whole point is that, theoretically they could be they could be excused except nobody's excused because they all break their own conscience the, the law of god there even if they haven't heard the law yes and even though he says and also making the decision to follow god or reject him well i would like to propose that they have made the decision to reject him the moment's like oh look at this beautiful creation okay i'm gonna worship the inti and the sun god in the inca empire or the moon right you made the decision to not worship the creator of the universe instead worship the creation and also, this is more from the channel, What Do You Mean? He's pretty funny. And uh, he made the, he granted, okay, even if for an atheist or an Incan or Aztec pagan, let's use their religion, whatever moral standards they have, even whatever standards they may have, they do not live up to them perfectly. Right. Same even Confucianism in China or Taoism. Not one has lived perfectly 
Okay, any real human. Yes, Confucius in my they allegedly he says he was a perfect saint, but any real tangible He's human. The losses you went, so yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No one has lived up to your pagan Hindu Buddhist standards perfectly. Therefore you're still under judgment. And even even if you don't have the law of Yahweh in your in handy, but whatever other standards you may have, even then you fall short. So you're still condemned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I'm you're totally turned and you're disgusted. I'll let you go here. Go ahead. So Trent Horn uh, just referenced uh, Romans 2, 14 to 16. Yeah. He did not reference the two preceding verses that we did, mm-hmm. which is for all have sinned, uh, all who have sinned without the law will perish and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So even when uh, like Gentiles do instinctively the things uh, required by the law, um, I don't know, whatever he said about um, their conscience or their deeds will either accuse or excuse them. Uh, I think that's more for like individual sins. But even if uh, you're excused for one or two sins, nonetheless, you still have the two preceding verses. Right. All who have sinned under law are judged by that. All who have sinned uh, without the law are judged by that. So yes, like there is no mean, there is uh, no category of person who doesn't sin, right? Whether by the law, whatever law standard they're being judged by, right? And if you are in the position of Trenhorn, where you are, or as Matt Fred said, all Catholics are disgusted by Calvinism. So if you are disgusted by the truth, um, inevitably reality, because God made reality, and you're disgusted by God, you will find things that disgust you in reality. So when you realize that none of the Native Americans knew about Jesus Christ and all of them are wicked sinners and all of them are going to hell and you had thought it was disgusting for God to not save everyone, you'll be disgusted. But guess that's the reality that God has made. So you're being disgusted by reality. Maybe you should you should take it as a correction and stop being disgusted by the Lord who actually reigns over all. You have made for yourself a different God than the actual God living. But I think at the end of the day for us, for you and I, who, who go to Mass, who have the sacraments, who have so many resources available to us for our spiritual growth, it really leaves us without excuse. No, yeah, totally. I mean, that's—so we should pray for people's salvation, and we should evangelize. Yeah. So sometimes people will say to me, well, if you think that people can be saved if they're never evangelized— Let's what? just not evangelize. You're, you're just <laughs> yeah. giving them a chance to reject God. Yeah. And I would say here, well, no, I'm saying— a possibility is not the same as a probability. Mm-hmm. Just because yes. it's possible these people can be saved, Doesn't it's not a guarantee. Yeah. It could be that we still live in a sinful world where a person can be ensnared by sin mm-hmm. and choose to flee from the good. I mean, it's still so you're very in a possible. Much, you're in a much better place, generally speaking, if you've heard the gospel proclaimed to you, you've been baptized and accepted it, yes. than if you've never heard it at all. Well, especially if you're baptized and you've accepted it, because mm. upon being baptized, you're... Uh, pure and undefiled, all the stain of any sin, original or actual, has been removed. There's nothing to hinder you from being all the false gospel here. Entering the kingdom of God immediately after baptism. And we just we just ended <laughs> we just ended on the, the false gospel. Excellent. Um, well, I think we said enough, and we could go on forever. Um, but yes, Trent Horan, um, and it's not just Trent, but Trent is highlighting the fact that the Roman Catholic dogmas about the gospel, how, how you are saved, make a mockery of 
the real gospel, which is that you're saved purely through Christ. They make a mockery of it when we're talking about how Christians are saved, and they make a mockery of it by saying that there are those who are not Christians that can't be saved. I'm glad that he feels the need to say that we should still evangelize people. Um, great, because we both agree with that, but his reasoning is that it just makes it slightly more likely, or maybe much more likely, whatever, makes it more likely that they come to Christ. I would say it is necessary for them to come to Christ. As Paul says, how are they going to believe if they haven't heard, right? Like that's, isn't that like one of the driving verses for sending people on missions and sending them to overseas is how will they believe if they have not heard? And yet he says they, they can believe and be saved um, without having heard. Ridiculous. And, and honestly, if Trenhorn, conservative, considered conservative Catholic, if this is the positions they're starting to take and the Pope and all Vatican leadership is already universalist, who will stand in the gap when the Catholic Church says, actually, everybody's saved through Christ? Believers and unbelievers, like they already are basically saying to the pulpit, like when they make it super duper extra super official. Um, will Matt Frad, will Trent Horn? No, it sounds like they're ready to, to hop on board. They're like, yeah, I guess so. You know, we were already kind of believing that everybody was saved, so let's hop on board fully. And by that point, I mean, they already, the Catholic Church has already changed, historically changed, has already denied the gospel. So these things have already happened. These are, it wouldn't be new for them to change again and to deny the gospel extra, but like extra super obvious with video evidence, right, that they have changed the doctrine and that it is rejecting the gospel. Our call to anyone who finds him or herself in the Roman Catholic Church is to leave that um, decrepit organization it used to be great it was a light to the western world they produced many great saints we're going to see millions of them in heaven prior to the council of trent i would say but after that when they rejected what was a call to reform to change unbiblical practices that they had there was luther didn't want to create a schism he it was he loved the Pope. He wanted to stay in the church. And then they're like, no, we don't want to listen to you. We don't want to change the way we are. We want to double down on these beliefs that have developed. Obviously, they wouldn't phrase it that way, but it was development of doctrine. So instead of changing, they have doubled down on things that separate them from true believers. As Paul would say in Galatians, if you add or change a little bit of the gospel, you have perverted the whole gospel. So as the church has done by requiring sacraments, not the once and for all death of Jesus Christ, but the constant repetition of sacraments, the teachings on Mary, which borderline on worship, and or so some over or the borderline, but yes, yeah, it crosses into that, and the papal infallibility, infallibility, excuse me, changing of history, and the list goes on. We call anyone out of that to go to a church that actually would give you peace with through Jesus Christ and him alone. His work, from against what we've heard from Ephesians, not any sacrament that just reaffirms that finished work of Christ that is applied once and for all on you the moment you repent and believe. So we call anyone out of this church to find true peace with the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you need help finding a Protestant Bible biblical church in your area <laughs> let us know where you are and we can search on church websites near you yeah man we do that all the time See so, uh, yeah i think there are resources to help you out too but they're kind of they're kind of scattered so uh hit us up we'd be happy to help mm -hmm. 
and that's why we have found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been Michael the man behind the machine, and to my right has been Sebastian the bookkeeper. And across the airwaves, it's been Peter under the PC. Thank you for listening. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you're going to have to go to foundcause.podbean.com and download them all the episodes for your listening pleasure. That's audio only, though. You won't be able to see the beautiful faces of me, Sebastian Theodore, or Trent Horn and Matt Froud, so you're going to have to go to YouTube or Facebook to find those. Search us there. We're at Found Cause there. We're also on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you might find your podcast. Until next time, when we talk about something, yes, completely different. Thank you for listening. Bye.